How y'all doing? Welcome to this edition of Stir It Up. I'm your host, Cliff Miller. This week is part one of a series that I'm calling Darkness Has a Voice. We're talking with individuals who lost their sight later on in life, teenage, 20s, 30s, and beyond who coped with it, who had the strength and a support system in place to help them go on. Even though they had negative feedback and people who doubted them, they found a way to find the strength to continue to live, to learn how to read and write and communicate again. It's not an easy thing to do, sight Losing your sight, blindness is a loss. So, we're gonna, like I said, jump right in to part one, or should we call it volume one, of Darkness with a Voice. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Stir It Up Podcast, everybody. This week we have Hannah. I don't even know how to pronounce your last name, so I'm not going to try. <laughs> and where are you from? I'm from Ohio. <laughs> and Lynn, you are from the great state of Pennsylvania. Yes, I am. And Lily, you claim to be from Texas, but you've been going Everywhere. to Canada. You've been going worldwide for the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. Anyway, this week we are discussing people who lost sight later on in life or who's continuing to lose sight later on in life. Now, I know all your stories, but my audience doesn't. So, I guess, Hannah, we'll start with you since you're the youngest. Oh, thanks. Put me on the spot. So, at what age did you start losing your sight? I was actually, okay, so I was actually born with this, um, but it's kind of been a rocky kind of road. Um, because what happened, uh, well, oh man, this is a long story. I could talk for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> I don't think we have that long. Um, <laughs> so I was born, um, obviously, with uh, Leber's congenital amaurosis. Um, so that basically means that your uh, rods and cones um, either aren't really developed or they just don't work properly or they don't function properly or what have you. Um, and so, when I found out, um, at nine months that that was my diagnosis, that I, um, that that's what I had, we just thought, okay, great. You know, my rods and cones don't work. That's all good and fine. So I grew up and I lived a normal life. Um, and as as normal as possible. Right. Um, (laughs) and I grew up, I went to public school. I stayed mainstream all my life. Um, I did, I tried to, you know, do everything, you know, as normal sighted people would do. Um, I obviously did no sports. Um, I had my fair share of trials and tribulations in middle school, high school, elementary school, my fair share of falls off of bikes, 
<laughs> different things like that because of my, you know, lack of sight, but I still wanted to try anyway. Um, I have also, um, I, I've had a bit of a rocky road with my vision though. Um, they say that my vision is never going to change. However, I have, there are days where I've kind of, I've had my good and bad days with my vision. Um, sometimes I'll have really good days where I can just, you know, live and go on about my life. And then there'll be days like, you know, ever since I got home from my trip to South Carolina and my eyes are killing me and I don't know why. Um, but on top of that, I've been diagnosed with a cataract, which, excuse me, has really affected my vision. Um, it's since been gone now. Um, thank God. (laughs) And I, uh, I also, um, because my eyes were, you know, bothering me so much back as, and as a senior in high school, we thought we would get an MRI. It showed up. It didn't show that my eyes were doing anything. Showed that I had something on the brain, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, so as I'm going through, um, before I turned 21, I decided to go get my, uh, so I'm kind of scatterbrained. I'm so sorry. Um, Leber's congenital amaurosis has about 20 dip or 28 different gene mutations slash, um, genetic defects. Um, so in order for us to truly figure out what was going on with mine, I went to the Cleveland, uh, the Cleveland clinic, uh, the Coli Institute at the Cleveland Clinic to get genetically tested. Because um, they told me at nine months at my diagnosis that um, I was missing I was missing one of my father predominant genes. And so that's what I was telling people all my life because that's what I thought. But instead, after after all the, the paperwork and being poked and prodded at least two or three times in both arms, <laughs> it was determined that the GUCY2D gene is genetically mutated in my genetic makeup. Therefore, that is what's going on um, with my eyes. So I was misdiagnosed for 21 years. Um, knowing that, they do have a cure. Am I willing to take it? No. <laughs> so, okay, let me, um, let me, can I just let, answer I'll, that? I was about to say, let me stop you right there. I'm going to make sure we get everybody's story, and then we're going to go a little bit into uh, how... Can I just ask real quick? Go ahead. Yeah. What's, go ahead, what's that cure, Luxterna? Because I've been involved with genetic testing with Sparks Therapeutics. Whatever it is, um, is still... Because it's because it's uh, it's not the RPE65 gene, my right. cure is still in mice trials and should be ready for... Um, ready for everything and out of trials and out of human te- human stages, human testing um, within five years, they said. Oh, that's great. They said this two years ago, however. So right. I'm um, keep hearing <laughs> two, two years, every two years. Yeah. <laughs> now, Lynn, your story is a yeah. little different. I know it, but they don't. So why don't you give us a little background? On okay. You? You, so, you could live and drive and see and all that up until yeah. about, what, 32, right? Yeah. I'm a senior, uh, senior citizen. So when I was 31 years old, I was sitting in the eye doctor's chair uh, getting new contact lenses. And he said, oh, I see something I don't like in your retina. Um, Then he said, uh, after further appointments, it's either a brain tumor or it's some retinal disease. So I wasn't sure which one I should hope for. And uh, I was living in New England at the time. So I ended up going to a specialist at Mass Eye and Ear Infirmary who was like the god of RP. Uh, his name was Dr. Elliot Burson with the worst bedside manner of any doctor I ever met. Oh, and boy. he 
I didn't have any of the typical symptoms at all. Um, I was driving. I was, but I would be playing racquetball and the ball would disappear. Like I could see it and then it was gone. And I didn't know why. Um, you know, I would have accidents like walking into things. Like, how did that happen? You know, um, things would appear out of nowhere, and I just thought it was just. I just let it go. I didn't. That had to be scary. Being able to drive. Definitely, right? yeah, yeah. So, um, I went to my appointment three months later, and the doctor said, "You have um, retinitis pigmentosa. So you have two to twenty years left to a vision. So do all your traveling now. Do all your. I was an artist, so do all your artwork now. Get a good shrink. Uh, learn braille. See you later." Oh, and by the way, don't have any hope. So it was very devastating, and um, I I sought out positive uh, roots, um, and I have an amazing story which I can't tell now about um, a message from my grandmother who had passed, which confirmed the positive route I was taking. It was through a psychic that I went to. Um, and meeting the psychic in New England, Cliff. You don't know the story, but the psychic in New England who would help find missing children uh, came up to me and asked me if she could hold my rings, and um, that's called psychometry, where they get information, vibrations, whatever. And she gave me a message from my grandmother, which is what I had been um, going towards: positive um, role models and positive things. So. In the, as I moved through my life, uh, and I had two little children at the time, it was very, very devastating. Okay, um, pause, I, pause right there. I just want to get Emilio's background, and then we're gonna all throw. I'm gonna throw questions at all of y'all uh, all at once. So okay, just, just hold that thought, Emilio. Your story is way different because you, what, 12, 13 years old, got to watch Star Trek and everything. Is that right? Right. That's right. Well, to all the listeners, hello. So my story is somewhat abnormal as it pertains to my vision loss. And I say it's abnormal because generally children from the people that I've known who have ROP, I know the name has been professionally changed within the past few years, generally lose sight at the age of three onward. But I was fortunate in that I had vision loss up until I hit puberty, and my vision loss wasn't perfect. I was considered an extremely high partial, so I was able to read and write, play video games, watch Baywatch, do all those things that kids do in the early '90s. So. Um, once I went, once I started going through puberty, blindness became very apparent, and it was very rapid. There was no real warning for me. So, because I didn't know how to function as a person who is now blind, I essentially had to go to a blind school and learn how to function as a person who just lost their sight in a new world. And and that's taxing on its own, and that's a whole story in itself. So, that's generally in a nutshell. Uh, my experience. And at what age where did you lose all your sight? I mean, it was all gone. Well, it's not technically gone even now, but for the purposes of simplicity, I tell people that I'm generally blind because, for all intents and purposes, I am. But to answer the question more accurately, I would consider myself to be now one who has light and shadow perception. Okay. And the age that basically that where you are now, what age were you at that time? I'm sorry. I'm, can you rephrase the question? Like you said, you have the light and shadow perception right now, right? At what right. age does that become permanent? Like the way you are now? Well, that's the thing with my vision loss is it's been so gradual over the years. It's really hard to denote 
a definitive time. So I would say if I had to put a number on it, I would say maybe within the past 10 years. Okay. And you are what, 37 now? 36. 36. Okay. All right. Now back to you, Lynn, before we use that good train of thought. You said the way that you dealt with this vision loss, because it happened to you, like after you learned to read, write, and do all that stuff, you are an artist. Um, I never heard that part of you, so I'm going to definitely have to get you, get on you about that one. But <laughs> oh, wait, said, I ended up taking a sculpting course for the blind in recent years. Okay. But you said, and this is very important for people who lose their vision later on in life. I, um, about 10 years ago, was a peer counselor for um, uh, people who lost their vision later on in life and helped, helped them cope with the loss because it is a loss and gave them resources and positive um things around them to help them go on because some people shut down withdraw and never do anything again the, the world has come to an end because they lost their sight but you said a great thing Glenn in our conversation earlier and now that you put positive people around you to help you cope with this loss can you tell us a little more about that yes I can um the what really made that very very um front in my being is that I had a friend who told me um, when I, she, she experienced my, you know, me with my vision loss, she said, oh, if I were you, I would get in bed and pull the covers over my head and never get out of bed again. And I told her that I couldn't be friends with her if she was going to be negative because I wanted to be surrounded by positivity and positive people in my life. And so that's what I did. Um, Everybody around me was very encouraging and supportive. And I ended up professionally working at an agency for the blind in the area of employment, where I would help people either born blind or going through vision loss, um, realize uh, what their goals would be, realistic goals, and then how to reach those goals through uh, whether it's O&M, technology training, what is work ready, what is a job? How do you interview? Um, and then I would match people with employers and coach them and make the match work. So, now, you said something to me earlier, and I, I got to bring it up. I know you're not going to forget, but I want to put it out there because this tends to happen sometimes when you get married. At a, you know, if you get oh, right, married right, and right. you both have young, you're, you're married and you're, you both can see. But then a right. spouse goes blind or goes crippled, and sometimes they get divorced, they separate. Right. What happened with, with what happened with your husband? I, uh, my I, mean, husband, I, I met him because I know how he is. So what did he do? Yeah, I was totally devastated when I got the, my diagnosis. I'm sure he was too, but he was my constant cheerleader, and we grieved together. We went through the stages, you know, all the stages which keep revolving; they don't end. But he was constantly um, bringing me up, you know, constantly telling me what I could do and that um, he didn't How many let years me have you guys been married? 46 so you're old enough I... my parents <laughs> <laughs> mine too and then so I always say that you can give yourself a pity party for a little while but you can't make it last you have to pick yourself up and move one step one foot in front of the other you don't get stuck you just you just do it you just you just find positive role models. So now I got in saying that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you said that you had one friend who told you to pull the covers up over your head and never get out of bed. You had right. a doctor that said had no hope, have no right. hope. 
you had others. I mean, how did you get past all that? Because I mean, if somebody told me these things and I knew nothing about what the blind world was gonna give to me, I don't know if I, I might have not been able to ignore those things. Um, I think that it, it's just that I'm stubborn and I never take no for an answer. And for instance, um, when iPhones came out, people around me said, oh, you can't use an iPhone. You, you, you can't do that. You're, you're visually impaired. There's no way you could do it. Well, I work at Apple, so I showed them. So, you know, I just feel that if someone tells me I can't do something, then I'm going to figure out what I can do. Um, and I don't accept, I mean, I'm not unrealistic, but um, I just find something that makes me feel good and do it. Good job, good job. Now, Hannah, do you, I know you still have sight, but have you been taught how to read Braille with cane use and all that good stuff? Because I know that some, when people ha- still have a little bit of sight left that these O&M and VI teachers and stuff like that, they want you to be prepared for the inevitable if it's going to happen. So have you learned to do those things? And if so, oh, how yeah. hard has it been? Um, Braille, Braille was fun. Um, like I'm, I'm only going to brag for a sl- slight second and tell you guys that you, um, are talking to one of the, one of the third place winners of the 2004 and 2005 Braille challenge. Wow. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, Braille look, I'll admit fun. to you right now, I'm lazy. Give me an audiobook any day of the week. Cause. <laughs> I, I, I could have I told everyone that you're lazy, but that's just. <laughs> <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. When I was younger, I did read books, you know, long books, um, you know, volumes. Remember the, the I mean, the, oh. I mean, I, I was 80 kids in high school, so they had to have like carts and stuff for the books that I didn't read oh for gosh, class and yeah. stuff like that. So <laughs> when audio became a little bit. Pop, more popular I was I was very thankful um audiobooks put me to sleep man I would sit in my classroom and but the next thing I know they're waking me up hey you gotta go you, gotta, you, need, you need good narrators <laughs> right you do Amelia what about you I mean it was a little different for you because you were you went to TV or TSB who every anybody who I talked to went to Texas School for the Blind y'all claim that that school is the best thing since sliced bread so why don't you tell us a little bit more about that school and why everybody loves it so much yeah well I think there is some truth to that for those of us who have gone and I know there's bias there but the reason I'll say yeah the reason I'll say that is because well in part you have some of the best teachers in the nation at the time anyway I know that maybe has changed now in their field pertaining like to math or technology. So that was an asset. Also, the technology aspect of it was, at the time, was ahead of its time. So we had the latest and greatest technology, which really was a benefit because I, for me, I didn't know how to use a computer without a mouse and a keyboard. And so that changed my perspective on how to use technology because now I was only using it with a keyboard. Now backing and up so a step, sorry to interrupt you, backing up a step because you were more of a teenager per se. You had all this vision, you got to see Baywatch with, you know, I mean, them as good looking women in bathing suits on the beach and I mean, all that good stuff. So <laughs> the vision loss that you had from a male perspective, I guess, could be a little different. How did you cope with that? Because I remember you telling me some stories about how it went on in your house and I'm not trying to throw nobody under the bus, but you did, I mean, your, your parents didn't really know how to cope with it, right? Well, and that's just it. That, that, you know, like I say, there's, 
and I, 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 everybody, you know, I don't want to invalidate anybody who may be listening to this because all of us who have some degree of vision loss, no matter how small or how great, are always going to have experiences and challenges within our own families that may be sometimes a first time event, like in my case. Now, I know there are others who have siblings who are blind, and I think it softens the blow in those cases because they have then siblings who have already been through this and parents who have already learned how to negotiate those kinds of things. But in my case, it wasn't true. So there was issue there because, well, my parents didn't know anything. They didn't know what resources I needed. They didn't know what avenues to take. You know, and then you compound that with a regular problem that is still prevalent today with school districts. And I can't speak for all, but there are some where they don't either want to or the official line, I think in most cases, is they can't afford in their budget to provide services for a student or a series of students with a visual impairment because now they have to bring in uh, VI teachers, visually teachers who teach students how to be visually impaired. And that costs money and then supplies that costs money and so everything surround is surrounded by money so that on its own presents its own series of challenges also and you know my parents you know not to speak ill but i think are dealing in the only way they know how you know and that is just to let me as the individual be who i am and just kind of observe from the sidelines and that i think it's a little sad and i think there are some parents who do that and i wonder if it's their own fear or whatever it may be because I've spoken to many parents across, you know, the state and elsewhere. And one thing I, I constantly tell them is as much as it may hurt you as the parent, and I'm not one, so I can't speak to this, but you have to let your son or daughter fall. You have to let them physically or more so mentally hurt themselves because one day you won't be there and you want to rest in the knowledge of knowing that your last breath won't be filled with anxiety but you will rest in the knowledge of knowing that your child will be able to take care of themselves. Right. Now, Lynn, yeah, it, was a little, it was a little different for you, Lynn, because he just said that the you know, technology was ahead of its time and they had the funding to get it down there at the Texas School for the Blind. But you went blind more so in the 70s where technology wasn't available to us back then like it is well, now. So I didn't did need come? it. I didn't need it until like 2000. Okay. Because I have RP, which means that I had central vision. So... My, my type of RP, I lost peripheral, but I had central. One of the and things I cent- want you to touch on is tell tell them what you told me earlier about you and your vision with the cane. That, I, I like that story. Oh, yeah, I will. I just want to say one thing that um, I also was the first one in my family, and I have 17 cousins and lots of aunts and uncles, and nobody had, nobody in our history, we went back as far as we could, had this. So I was oh. kind of... Uh, a mutant <laughs> so we figured my parents were both two recessives and then I have a sister nine years younger than me who then started walking into things and dishwasher lid down when you trip over that it's like uh-oh and uh, she ended up with the same thing so they were all so to address what you said Cliff about the cane so I was working in an agency for the blind and I would tell my students I had a lot of students that were very, very resistant to using a cane, especially men. They just did not want to use it. And I told them, you know, when I see, uh, my husband always would point out to me a blind person walking down the street with a cane and say like, that person's amazing. Look how 
so inspiring how great that person is so independent with their fame and i would believe that but for my own self i couldn't bring myself to use a cane even though i would encourage people to use a cane i myself had um it was not the image that i had of myself and so i didn't want to use the cane around anybody that i knew so i went to a mall that was not near me and i figured okay i'm going to take out my cane and i'm going to use it here and as i was walking through the mall i was walking towards a, a wall that was all mirrored and i saw myself walking towards the mirror with a cane and it was like so startling like it just i just couldn't put it together that that was my image so i thought you know i'm going to get a guide dog because number 1 i'm a dog person and number 2 i feel like someone walking with a guide dog people will look at the guide dog team and say and which is what happens is oh what a beautiful dog you work so well together what a great partner you're doing so you're so independent and all that and the focus would be on the dog and not on me and i felt like if i was walking down the street just me and my cane you know people would look and focus on the cane and not on me you so, know and they they actually tend to do i mean because i get it all the time when i used to live in the inner city of Minneapolis when i was teenage and 20 years old you would always get these people that said you know can i help you across the street this and that and the other now i'll be polite and let them help me but my thought the, the first thought that always comes to my head is what happens when i get to the next corner and you're not there if i didn't know how to cross the street right <laughs> so right right now, at least they could, asked you right so i so i got a guide dog by my third guide dog <laughs> I had a convention in uh, an ACB convention in uh Las Vegas and it was so hot they said the dog's paws would burn up on the street so I left him home. Yeah, it does get hot over I there. Took my cane and it was the first time I used the cane and I fell in love with my cane. And I am such a cane user. I love it and when I go to work I take my cane I come in with my guide dog and then when i put my guide dog on break i work at apple and we go in back to the break room i let my guide dog off so he can chill out and i whip out my cane and my coworkers are standing around me today one of them like whoa you really you really know how to snap that cane you know they <laughs> they're like so you know it's just part of me it's like who i am and the way i feel now is if someone has an issue with it that's their problem this is right. me that's how it so should I be totally changed my confidence so two things you you become more confident and you become like this is me this is who i am and number two for me the more vision that i lost the more i needed a cane it made me more convicted that this is what i'm doing like i had no doubt at all as to using my cane and it just changed my whole perception of myself right. as to the way I started. Now, Amelia, you're kind of the other way around cuz you had a guide dog for years and now you're a cane user. Which one do you like better and would you go back to getting a guide dog? I mean, I mean, I know your reasons for giving the dog up and you know how tough that was, but Sure. Well, <clears throat> I think to answer the question, which do I like better? They both have their place and if you can use them together, then you do have the best of both worlds. So Lynn speaks truth to that. by her example of using the dog and then understanding the appropriate time when to then use the cane and let the dog be a dog or whatever it may be so 
both are great tools to have. And I'm not trying to trivialize a dog, but in this case, they are an animal for service. Um, so that's the answer to that question. And they're both, I don't know, they both have their place really at the end of the day. Now, Hannah, I know you just went to an <laughs> army graduation, you know, that was down in hot land, as they call it. <laughs> <laughs> Did I mean, because are you a cane user? Because I know you don't have a guy. I know you have pets for dogs, but... Um, at- I used to have a guide dog, but I don't anymore. Now, um, are you one of those? Because I know you're a high power student. Now, do you, do you rely a lot on your site, or do you not mind asking for help if you need to when you're traveling alone? I hate asking for help, but if I have to, I will. I think last week was the most I had to ask for help, and it actually was very helpful. It, it actually kind of warmed my heart when I received as much help as I did. Um, a lot of the people down there, it actually kind of showed that there are still good people in the world. Um, now, in terms of like, I, what was it? What was the next part of your question? No, I was asking. Um, do you find yourself relying on your site sometimes? No, you I try not to. Okay. Um, I try not to. Now, if I'm in a in a place where I know, heck yes, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna use my site because I know where I'm at. Like I know my territory. There are places that I can go to here where I know like the back of my hand. I'll take my cane because I'm a blind person. That cane is that cane is me. I have to take it. I'm not going to say I'm going to use it because I know where I'm at. But like being down in South Carolina last week, I used it more and it actually made me feel it, don't tell anyone. No, I'm just playing. Don't I was going to say don't tell anyone this, but everyone's listening to this. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like my cane. Um I would prefer a guide. Um but I actually felt really good last week having a cane there because um, if I didn't, I definitely wasn't going to know where I was going. And a lot of people weren't going to know that I was blind. And they would have just, because they're not used to seeing me out, because I'm new in their land, um, they they would totally just, if they didn't see that I was blind, they would have just totally treated me like a regular person. And maybe ran, ran out in front of me, ran a red light like they would have, you know, like they maybe we're planning to or this that or the other thing you know what I mean you know one one thing I'll say to that is that for me as a teenager that was my biggest issue with blindness the braille the cooking all these other things came in their own way but the issue I had first or the prolonged issue I had rather was overcoming the stigma that I associated with the cane not the world but that I associated to it and for anybody listening who may be experiencing that kind of an issue I know it's not easy, what's hard, I know it's scary, but do your best to get over it in the way in which you need. I don't say that to trivialize your issue or your plight because it's tough, but once I overcame that barrier, then doors started opening overnight. I second that. And I I do too, and I just wanna add that I always would, this is the story that brings it out most for me is when I wouldn't use a cane, and my husband would help me wherever we would go. But when I had to go to the ladies' room, especially like if you're going to the movies or, you know, like a concert or something like that, ladies' room, you're standing in a long line and he couldn't stand in line. Like he did a little bit, but he couldn't go in with me. So I'm standing in line without my cane and people are not very nice. You know, it's like, move up, move up, you know, like, or, you know, like when I would come out of the stall and I didn't know where the sink and you know, you know, all the things we have to find the sink and the soap and the paper towels, and then you have to find the door to go out. And I was like, totally at a loss and people were not very nice. But when I had my cane, it was night and day, people would say like, Oh, here, let me help you. Let's move up. It's your turn. 
Absolutely. Oh, let me get this door for you. And then, oh, here, here's the sink. Here's the soap. Here's the towels. Let me help you find the, let's go take my elbow. We'll go out. People were unbelievable. Maybe want to cry how nice people are. Yeah. Can, I, like, can I add to that? Can I add to that? Yeah. I was um, at the Columbia airport this past Saturday and I, I knew where the bathroom was. I had just come from it and I had to go. Um, and so I'd walked from my from my gate to the seat I was sitting at in my at my gate, the seat I was sitting in, and it wasn't too far. I mean, I could see like I could just retrace my steps and everything. And I just I walked to where I thought it was, well, where I knew it was, but I didn't know, you know, which restroom was which because in airports, kind of like everything, you know, to to sight of. And I'm sure Lynn can kind of get get a get a get a hold on this or agree with me. It's, a lot of times things look the same. Right. Um, they do things just kind of yeah. look the same. So like. You know, I stood there for a minute and this guy walked up to me and he said, are you looking for the restroom? And I said, I looked back at him and I said, yeah, he said, it's right there. And I said, right where? He said, right in front of you, right in front of you. And he kind of walked up and said, here, I'll take you to where I can obviously like just to, to, you know, to the, to the edge of the wall or whatever you can trail the wall and you can go. And I said, thank you so much. And literally from then on, I knew everything, but it's like. In, in every airport after that, every airport, every place I was, no matter where I was on that trip, if I needed help, those people were helping me. It didn't even matter because I had my cane. Now, if it's, di- it's different if I don't have my cane and I'm in a line, like right. Lynn said, because it's all a matter of, hey, move up. They're impatient. They don't care. They're looking at their phones. They they don't, you know, they, yeah. they all they care about is themselves. They have places to go. They have things to do. So what they're doing is they're trying to figure out how the fastest way for them to get done is going to be. But if if you if we have our canes or we have our guides, all of a sudden it turns into here, let me help you with that. And yeah. I'm a blindness advocate. This is what I okay, this is what I love, okay? And this is <laughs> and I look back at them and I go, this is exactly what I have missed around the world for so long. This is what this world needs. That's and I said, right. you're doing such a favor to everybody. I said, I just want you to know that. I now I'm gonna touch on another uh, another issue, not an issue, but another aspect, I guess, of the the blind loss. Now, a lot of people who lose their sight, and I run into a lot of this. I mean, there's some blind people out there that are just mad at the world because they have no sight. It's everybody's fault. Now, I'm not saying that they're wrong and feeling bad, but you know, sometimes you have to pick yourself up and move on. But as from a man's standpoint, and I'm, I'm about to pick on Emilio here because I'm coming at him with this one. Now, as from a social aspect, it's hard for blind people to meet a significant other. And I think a lot of it comes from, now, Lynn, you didn't have this problem because you were already married. Right. But, you know, some of us that are already blind. Now, me, I'm a people person. I'll speak, I'll, I'll sit down and start talking to you. I don't care if I met you last week or I didn't know you at all. But there are some people that are shy. They won't go to social events and things of that nature. Now, I was never part of the ACB, NFB, and all the rest of those letters because they were too political for me but I, I I was mainstreamed all my life I never went to a blind school except for summer school and they told me that I was too advanced for their um, facility they didn't want me to be there because I knew too much about being independent and you know they, they just said that I could only attend summer school there but there are some people that when they you know they get blind or become blind they don't they say that they never go meet nobody so they revert to chat lines or staying behind a screen per se or a phone mm-hmm. but never meet these people now amelia how did you cope with that because you were you know 
you were you were a flirt. You liked the women when you was younger. So how, how did you adjust <laughs> to that? Well, you know, um, that's a question on its own too. <laughs> Sounds like you could I, be here for hours. Sure. Well, yeah. you know, to, to generalize the, to generalize my answer for people who are listening here, if you're still listening, congratulations to you. <laughs> I I think you have you can't. I don't know. So I guess for me, the way I'm going to answer this, I don't necessarily feel it's a. In our case, it's a blindness issue. I think people in general experience difficulty when meeting someone socially because when we look at the idea of human interaction and our abilities for social coping, I think we have to consider the fact that it's tough to communicate. In general,、mm-hmm. research shows that communicating on a gen on a basic scale is already challenging. So I think when we look at it from that perspective and see that everybody deals with this, we're just having to deal with an extra layer of it. I think then we have to, I guess, to get over that, not let the blindness define who we are. And I think so many people do that.、And、once you break out of that shell, to the degree that you can, and not let your blindness define you, but you define what blindness is in your case, then I think you begin opening doors because you either are going to attract people to you or you're going to repel them. And I know some people can say. That well, it's hard for me to meet somebody. It's hard for me to find somebody. No one's going to want me. Well, first off, it's already in your thinking. If you already think these things about yourself, of course, no one's going to want to be around you. Of course, you're not going to meet someone. And I know some people can say, "Oh, well, that's just voodoo talk." You know, it's you know, you can psych yourself out all you want, but there is truth to it. We have to begin being what we think, and if we say how we feel and it's negative, then we're always going to attract that kind of negativity in a way. Now, Lynn, you got that job at Apple on your own, right? You didn't go through no agency to, you know, give you a referral and say, okay, give this woman a chance because she wants to work, but she's blind. So let's see what she can do. You got that job on your own, right? I did. So I, when I back to ACB, when I was at a convention when the iPhone was just coming out, there was a <laughs> group of college kids that did a course called "Take a Bite Out of Apple," and I was in the front row. And there was standing room only, and I was so excited. I came back to Philadelphia, and I went to my local chapter, and I said, "We're doing this here." And I went to an Apple store, and I told them I want to do this event in Philadelphia. And long story short, it took a year, but I was a, a I was not working at Apple at the time. I was a customer. I came to them with the idea. I. I、uh, worked with one of the managers there, and I put together the first ever voiceover event in the world. We had over a hundred blind people. We trained people from different Apple stores in the area to learn voiceover, so that they could help run the event. And about twelve months later, I decided I wanted to interview.、Um, I wanted a, a friend of mine was working at Apple, and she said I can submit your resume. If you want to work, you know. If you want to, I, there was no guarantee, but I got an email asking me if I wanted to come in for the interview. And、um, without just to, to make a long story short,、um, there were several layers of interviews. The final interview was conducted by the regional manager, who happened to have been at my event that I put on. Oh wow!、Um, so it was just luck that she was there. So,、um, I ask that question to lead into this: is like some people that are blind feel that they can't get a job unless they go through、uh, state services for the blind,、um, 
uh, DBS, Division for Blind Services, this or that nature. But I have been working since I was 12 years old. And 95% of the jobs I've gotten, I've gotten on my own. I just got a job today working at a grocery store overnight. I worked for nice. Walmart for nine months. I worked for Best Buy for two years. I mean, I've had all kinds of jobs. And I guess I'm saying this is, say that to say this, that if you... If you in, if you're motivated enough, you can get a job on your own. They're not going to care about your cane. They're going to care what you can do or what's in your resume. So I mean, it's not the, the end all be all. Sit around and throw a pity party. I'm not saying that yeah, blindness so is. I used to. I'm sorry. I used to teach that. Um, teach about getting a job, and we didn't go through. Our state agency had no jobs for us, so it was all go networking, learning how to present yourself, put your best foot forward. And I just want to say, and sorry I interrupted you, Cliff, That's but right. this is my wheelhouse. I really, if you tell an employer that you're having a disability shows that you're a problem solver, that you, that you show up at work, what excuse does everybody else have around you? Exactly. For I, I hear that all being the time. a slouch. Yeah. And well, and you know, you, you speak to that motivation and I think that's, that's it. That's at the end of the day, that is what will drive any aspect <clears throat> of our lives is how motivated are we? Precisely. Right. And right. To, you know, put Amelia on front street, but in a good way this time, he has a master's degree. He ran for mayor. He wrote, he wrote, he's written articles for newspapers and, and, and magazines and, and things of that nature. So, I mean, you can. There's things that you can do directly from home, but there's there, it's not a just be at home and sit and be bored and wait for something to fall in your laptop. Dude, you got to go right. out and get it. So what you here? One good thing to start off with: think about something that you think you might want to do. Maybe you're not sure, but you want to explore it. You should set up an information interview with someone who does that, and you just call them and you say, "I was wondering if I could have a few minutes of your time." and do an information interview. They're gonna know what that means. What that means is you're gonna come in with a resume, but you're not applying for a job, but you're gonna dress as if you were going on an interview. And you're gonna say, so could you tell me about what a day is like in your job? And get them to talk about their job and who who are their competitors? And what do they love about their job? And what's challenging about their job? And at the end, they're going to, you probably have made a really good contact to network with. They're probably going to say to you, you know, I'm here if you have any questions, keep me posted. It may even go further than that, but it, that way you can at the end say, I think I really like this. I think I want to pursue this. Or you might say, you know what? That's not what I thought it would be. I'm not going in that direction. So, so that's it, called an information interview. So into wrapping this up, I'm going to go around. I want you guys to tell me what was the toughest thing about dealing with your blindness and the hurdles you had to overcome and what's your take on it now? I mean, obviously we've all come a long way, but I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not a picnic for any of us. Well, I guess I'll start. And at first I want to give more credibility to what Lynn said, because at her opening remarks, she commented on putting positive people in her life. And I think that's so important. I think in, in this case, as it pertains to blindness and our outlook, whether it be employment or socially, we need to surround ourselves with people who we want, not necessarily to be like, but if they have goals, put yourself around people who've achieved goals. Surround yourself with those positive people so that way you can have something to shoot for. In particular, for someone I think who's lost their vision 
either late in life or early in life, surround yourself with people who are blind or who happen to be blind, but who are doing good things. So that way, I think it'll help soften that blow and help you understand that there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's not dark, it's not dismal, like it may seem at first. Um, onto your question, however, I'll say that, like I said early on, the cane for me was the biggest barrier. And once I overcame that barrier, doors opened for me that I never, I never thought would be possible. Literally dreams, childhood dreams started coming true that I never knew would be possible for me to have. And so that on its own is just, um, a remarkable thing once you can overcome a barrier as it pertains to blindness or whatever inability that a person may have. Hello? Um, I guess that, okay, I, I do have to, I do have to, um, again, kind of steal Amelia's thing and, 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 and give credit to where credit is due and give Lynn some serious credit because it's really hard to find positive people in a hard time, especially a hard time of, of, of going through sight loss. They don't know how to react to that. Just like you don't know how to react to that. If you're sad, they're gonna be sad. If you're happy, they're gonna be happy. I've been through cases like that where if I'm sad about something or something really big like that's going on in my life, people are gonna be sad with me. But then I find the few others that are that are like, okay, no, you you have to get you have to get out of this. You have to get better. But you did it and you are here and you are an amazing woman and you've done so much so much for yourself in this big amount of time and you have totally overcome that and and I have to give you major credit for that because it's it's especially after your situation it wasn't easy um, um and so with that um I obviously I'm a lot younger younger than all of you <laughs> so mine's probably not going to be as uh I don't know if I want to say trivial, but mine's not going to be, I don't know, I don't know that mine's going to be like as big compared to your guys's, but mine is going to be, you know, still kind of rough all the same. If there are any young, young people still in school or, you know, listening um, or that will listen later, you guys can kind of maybe relate or understand this um, as you go through. Um, mine has to probably be getting through middle and high school. And I say this because in middle school, you'd think that as you go through school, um, and Emilio, you can probably get this to some extent, um, and Cliff too, um, your TVIs and your TVIs should stay as as knowledgeable and you know should be available to ask or for you to ask questions and get the help that you need. Am I right, or am I you know am I right or am I wrong? Sure. Um, so in my case, in middle school, mine did not. <laughs> She was completely the opposite. She made it very hard for me to pass through middle school. Um, and I went into high school very afraid. Like I went into, I'm pretty sure I went into high school more afraid than any other freshman. Um, the fact is that I did it. Um, I'm not, I'm not discrediting the fact that I did it. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not downing myself for the fact that I did it. I graduated high school with an over 3.7 GPA. I'm, you know, with pretty much all A's and B's. I, you know, and a lot of extracurriculars under my belt, two sets of honor cords, things like that, this, that, and the other. I'm saying that in the hardest years of your life, you should have the proper people, the proper, the proper educators, the proper, the proper knowledgeable people in your life to help you understand what's going on and, and what, what is happening 
in your classes and in, and, and in your school life and whatever. Mine didn't do that. It was very hard for me. I was stressed. I was, you know, I, and the reason I bring all of this up is because it's not okay. You know, people may think, oh, it's just school. It'll be over with when it's over with. No, it's more than that. It's the fact that you are missing out on key parts and key opportunities of things that you need to succeed in your life and to get jobs like Lynn has at Apple or to get jobs and to do things on your own like Cliff has done or Emilio has done. And I haven't been able to do that because of that. So I'm pretty sure as long And I'm glad you brought that up about having the help that you need to get through and that you got a diploma and you graduated with a high GPA because there's some people who just accept a certificate of completion. That's not a diploma. And then when they or go, they, and, and or they, they take it, or right. they take it as as a way of saying, oh well, I'm just going to sit here and graduate with my 2.5s or my 3.0s and my C's and D's right. or my B's. Right. And the issue run into and, though is when you try to go to college or take some extra classes, they'll tell you, yeah. look, you can't do that because that's not a diploma. But it yeah. sounds like you have become an advocate for yourself. Yes. And would you be an advocate now the way you are if you hadn't had to fight for yourself? If I hadn't had to fight for myself? Right. Absolutely not. So it brought you to where you are today. Everything happens for a reason. Right. And here, well, and here's and, and what you... I say, though. I've told so many people this over this past week. Us as blind people are the best advocates for ourselves. If right. we don't yeah. advocate for what we need and we let others do it for us, they're going to do it wrong. Right. Not, we're not going to get yeah, what we exactly. need because they don't know what we need. We totally know what agree. we well, need. And, yeah. And and with that, we're the we have to remember. And I know there there's controversy around this concept, but we are the example to somebody who maybe has never seen a blind person. I cannot tell you the number of people throughout my life right. where I've gone, where I've been the first the blind person they've ever oh, met. Oh, five thousand percent. I agree. Me too. Me I'm too. I'm the same. Uh, and 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 we want to get angry. And I guess that's my thing is we have to be careful to try to keep our emotions in mind because I've heard, I hear so many people, well, I don't feel I should do this, that, or the other thing. But the thing is, as I, I guess to me, we have to remember that we may be the only person that this sighted person or whomever right. may meet as exactly. a blind right. individual. Exactly. Yep. Or have yep. met and will Definitely. only, only, or, or they have maybe avoided blind people because they don't want to deal with us or they think that we're a liability or they think that yep. we're just right. some stupid individual that doesn't know anything or stranger things have happened I mean (laughs) yeah so I first I want to say thank you for your kind remarks and I'm very so so impressed and so um taken with with what the two of you have said um I wanted to say I've been thinking while you were talking about what I would say um first of all surrounding yourself with positive people in my case it was easy because I just went away. I didn't hang out with negativity. So you just move away from it. Um, I was lucky because the job that I had at the Agency for the Blind in employment, I was trained by a blind person who created the program. Oh, and I, he was the first blind person I ever met. And I was so in awe of him. And I, all I would ever say to myself is, if he can do it, I can do it. And if not for him, I don't know who my role model would have been, but I met many other role models after him. But um, the thing about the way you feel about yourself and what you project to others and the way they is the way they treat you is a theme here. And when I'm at the Apple store, the first thing that I realize is hard for me 
is, and I love, 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 love my job every minute because I'm an extrovert and I love meeting people and getting to know people and helping people. But um, most people are not, have probably never met a blind person. So I get so many different Mm -hmm. kinds of reactions to the point where, you know, oh, you poor dear too. And I'm like, it's fine, you know, and then they'll come over and they'll say, oh, you're so amazing. I can't believe how amazing you are. Like, you know, to that extreme, like till they're over the deep end on that end. And it's like, you just be you. And they, how do I say it? uh, One of the hard things was for me because I'm used to looking at people when I talk to them. Mm -hmm. And when I was training people to interview that couldn't see, I would tell them what I'm doing right now for myself is that you just listen to their voice and then that's where they are and you just focus on their where their face is you have to they are uncomfortable if you're not looking at them even if you can't see so now i can't see them and i'm doing that and for me that's hard because i used to be able to see people so um, i'm constantly telling myself you know, I'm giving myself like affirmations, like I'm appreciating who they are. I feel like I know who they are to their essence. I'm just not seeing what they look like. Um, It's a new experience for me and I'm, you know, every day it's something that I'm dealing with, but I feel like I feel very, very confident in who I am. That did not come overnight. And because I accept myself and I feel great about myself, that's how people are reacting to me. They think I walk on water, which you know we don't. Right. You know, they just, like, if you put one foot in front of the other, they think you're amazing. And, really? you know, it's like, oh my God, she can walk. You know? And sometimes I wonder uh, if it's because of that stigma, because of that stereotype. Yeah. So Well, and I also think it's also partly because they're, you know, people are projecting inadvertently their own fears onto us right. because it may be how they would right feel. they're saying i could never do that because they don't yeah yeah I, you know i've heard people tell me that i i could never be blind okay good so don't let me do it you live your right. side well of and life. you know <laughs> and, and one thing i'll say with this whole theme is that we have and i don't say it i don't say it to be aggressive but we have to demand we have to deserve what we demand mm-hmm. or demand what we deserve you know exactly right. exactly it's a little exactly. bit hard. It's easier said than done. Oh my, it's easier said oh, than done. Oh, very much. We have to do it again because we are the best advocates for ourselves. And I think the other theme here is it comes from the inside out. So yes. however you can do it, you need to see your own self-worth and you need to feel good about who you are. And mm-hmm. then that's what you're going to project to other people. And, and don't be discouraged for those of you who maybe are starting out blind. Don't be discouraged with the little things you learn. Take them as achievements. Take learning. Yeah, if Braille takes you six months or three years or whatever it may be, see it as an invaluable achievement because not everybody can do Listen that. here. I was Take learning Braille. Learning, you know. I was learning Braille all throughout school, okay? I may have been done with the basics in second or third grade, but I was still learning Braille symbols, Nemeth code, different sorts of science symbols, everything until I graduated high school. It's a long process, but you know what? Sometimes it's the most fun. 
Braille is fun, guys. It's fun. Except that all the changes that they've got going on, those changes are, oh, I could say so many things about those changes, but it's got to be PG. You don't even go there because I, I, I come from the 70s and the 80s where we had the BLE sign and the double, and the look. The, yeah. Those are all hey, I, as far use. As I, I still say, use. They still exist in my Braille writing. <laughs> right. So, <clears throat> I mean, I had you guys give y'all's door. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was, I wasn't born blind, but I went blind when I was three from glaucoma. So I never, I don't remember seeing. All I remember is my mom being a single parent with a blind son that she didn't know what to do with. But you know what? She didn't take it out on me. She just raised me as the best way she knew how. She had me at seventeen, and I mean, I was cooking by the time I was ten. I That's it. I wrestled all the way through high school. I was. Wow. I, I lived on my own from 18 up until now. I mean, she she raised me to be a strong individual, and wow. I, she'll tell you herself that my house is cleaner than all her other kids. Cause, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because as black um, people, we gotta have our stuff the way we like it. Yeah. Come on. I like, How many times you put come down a remote stuff. control and you come back and somebody had moved it? No. I know. You put it back <laughs> yeah, oh god. Wait, I was thinking about the the movie Ray. About how Ray. his mother, yeah, his mother, movie. yeah, his mother would not let him feel sorry for him. Nope, that, that, that was my mom. That was my mom before Ray was. I mean, I guess Ray Charles' mom probably older than my mom, but you know, that, that, that was her. I mean, she just did not let me get down on myself. Get out there and play football. Get out there and wow. play basketball. I mean, come on now, get, mm-hmm. get, ride that bike. I mean, that's why felt him. Yep. She was talking about. She, I mean, my my cousins would would um, get their bikes and put bells on them. And there would be three of them in front of me. Follow me. I didn't have no choice. I had to follow Oh, them. my God. And that's how it was. And I, I, oh by God. the time I was in high school, I was an expert. I was riding bikes better than anybody. So. Damn. <laughs> oh, my God. So, just anybody who's listening to this podcast, I mean, I don't know if anybody wants to give their personal info, but if you email stir it up at iCloud.com, I will put you in contact with any one of these uh, speakers today if you want to get them more yeah, preparation absolutely or, uh, you know uh, I'd and, like to be in touch with the speakers <laughs> and, and me too sure. hey if you guys want to give up your uh, your your email address or whatever you, whatever you want to give out go ahead I don't hey, this, hey that's your information yeah well if anybody I mean if you want you can find me on Twitter that's a general that's a good place to start I'm at at the orange circle so that's a spot you can find me at how about um you have a uh, well I have to say I don't tweet, so I, I, have, to get up with the, <laughs> I have to get up with the time. I know. I'm all, that's, it's embarrassing to say, but I'll admit it. No, no, um, it's fine. You are okay. <laughs> I mean, I started, I was on Twitter strong for like 10 years, and I kind of, I, I still use it every now and again, but not as much as I used to. <sighs> so, but um, it's been a, been a great discussion. Maybe we can do it again sometime. On another um, topic. I, I can give out my information. Um, you if anybody wants it go ahead um okay so if you want to text me uh my so my name is lynn l-y-n-n-e last name is mayleaf m is a mary a-l-e-e f like frank f like frank mayleaf um well, should i give my phone number or should i give my email i can um, give my email for I all right i'll give my email Definitely. yeah i'll do my email okay so it's lynn l-y-n-n-e and then my birthday is April 23rd, so it's 423. So oh, lynn423 cool. at gmail.com. I have a friend who has your birth date. Really? 
Yeah, Cliff, I'm gonna let you. More. I'm gonna let you give people my stuff because just because my name is so hard to pronounce and all that stuff. So <laughs> and I don't know that they'd get. What's your whole name? The spelling and stuff. My name is Hannah Sant, actually. Oh, so what's that right? Actually, pronouncing it right. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> and how do you spell Sant? S A U N T. That's what I would think. Yes, ma'am. And, that, and uh, hold on, Amelia, I'm about to take you back. Hannah, tell them where you're at. What's your What's your domain? I am in Ohio. No. What, what What is your email address at? Oh, okay. So. You can actually, the better email for me is actually going to be HR, so that's my two initials, um, and then my full last name, so S-A-U-N-T, the number one, at gmail.com. But tell him what your actual email address is, because I want everybody to so how far back you're going. What is that What is that domain you're using? Oh, no. you're on Hotmail? No. 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 The actual domain that I use is my uh, my Apple ID is AOL. Yep. <laughs> oh, I knew that was what you were doing. <laughs> well, since everybody is giving it, I guess I'm not going to be left out here. Um, yeah, come on, Emilio. Emilio.s like Sam dot Hernandez at gmail.com so that you can do the iMessage or email that. Right. Way. And everybody knows that mine is stir it up, spell with a U, at iCloud.com. So we thank all of our speakers for joining us and their great, amazing stories. And we'll join you again on another episode of Stir and It thank Up. Thank you for putting this together. Yes, thank you. Thank yeah, you. for sure. How y'all doing? What a great show we had today. We'd like to thank Lynn Malief, Hannah Sunt, and Emilio Hernandez for their great insight on how they've coped with losing their sight later on in life. We'll be back next week with part two of Darkness with a Voice, as well as, of course, Sports Talk with OJ. And again, I can't emphasize enough that we would love to have any of you on the show for future topics we got stuff coming up like marriage and um technology and stuff of that nature i think i got a segment up coming up next week on how to create a ringtone with garage band since itunes is breaking up and apple is leaning more towards the ipad world i mean the mac's still there but you know the average consumer can do 95 98 percent of things from their ipad i mean i do i'm recording this podcast from my ipad i edit it from here and everything anyways that's a story for another day anyway at stir it up live for twitter and periscope the blog is stir it up dot wordpress.com and remember as always stir is spelled with the u and finally email us with questions comments and hey we'd even love to have you on the show show stir it up at icloud.com Thanks for listening.